Yeah, and we needed that today because we were going to be doing some Bible gymnastics. So um, George did that to get you going. That My Bible does not normally look like this. So you thought I was joking or I'm being serious. Start warming your thumbs up now. If you have your Bible with you, your phone, whatever you use. Um, I love that song. It took me forever to get past the drums. I love the drums. Um, but to hear, um, to hear the poor boy... <laughs> I love that poor boy. He has absolutely nothing, but he has wisdom. And he sees King Jesus. He says, I have nothing to give that's fit for a king, so I'll give you my all. I'll play the drums. Um, And I love that. It took me a long time to hear that chorus instead of just hearing drums. Um, My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff here with you. It's good to be with you here. Um, Good to be with you here this morning sharing God's word. We're going to continue in our Advent series Um, We're going to be looking at King David today. Um, Before we do, though, I want to share a a story with you from when I was studying in my undergrad at Canisius College. Um, Did anyone ever hear of Canisius College? (laughs) Why are you laughing? It's a real school, I swear. It's in Buffalo, New York. I've never had somebody laugh at the name of Canisius College before. It's in Buffalo, New York. It's a small school. Uh, And while I was there, um, I got to study abroad. I got to go to London, England. It was awesome. There's about 16 of us from all over the country. We got to study together. Never flown, never left the country, and this is like my first big adventure um, outside the country. It was awesome. Uh, And while we were there, I had this really unique opportunity to go to the Globe. Uh, If anyone ever hear of the Globe, good, don't laugh at that either. That's a real thing. It's a theater. Uh, It's a theater in London. It's a famous theater. The original actually burnt down, uh, and they rebuilt it. And then it's, uh, what happens, or what they do often at the Globe is Shakespeare's theater, uh, Shakespeare's production. In fact, Shakespeare himself acted there back in the day. Um, And when we were there, uh, they were putting on Hamlet. Um, So like one of the most famous theaters in London, one of the most famous plays of all time, uh, and we get to be there. And it was awesome. A few minutes into the production, though, we were, you know, we were sitting there and just looking forward, and we noticed, like, people were kind of, like, turning and, and looking back and kind of, like, doing this, looking over us and whispering, and it wasn't just because there were 16 Americans. We were like, what, you know, what's going on? And one of my classmates then told me, they were like, hey, like, two or three rows behind us is Prince Charles with the president of Poland, we found out later. Um, so yeah, so Prince Charles is like right there. I mean, like almost could like reach up and touch him. He's right there. It was just so fascinating. Um, royalty here in, in this theater. And as I was reflecting about that on that story, <coughs> excuse me, got a little cold. As I was reflecting on that story, uh, what stood out to me as I was remembering it is the reaction of the audience. Do you know what the audience did when, when their royalty came into the theater? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing. It was like, oh, wow, a celebrity, cool, let's take a picture, let's move on. Even my classmates and I, we tried to take a picture, and we're like, all right, cool, let's go grab some fish and chips. You know, like, they just, nobody cared. It was their royalty. Nobody cared. Nobody came and bowed down. Nobody came to kiss the, you know, his ring. Nothing like that at all. Uh, And as I was thinking about that, I was just thinking how funny it is that in England, where they have a king, where they have a queen, where they have a monarchy, um, this kingship language is just lost on them. It really means nothing. When I think about our setting and our day and age, that's the trouble that we have. When we come to this word king, we really have no understanding of it whatsoever. Um, It really, if you think about it, the premise of our country was founded on people fleeing 
monarchies and coming here, right? They fled England, fled Spain. They came here seeking freedom, getting away from a king. So for us today then, <laughs> when we hear this, when we hear this king language, it really, it just, it kind of falls flat on us. And that feels like a little bit of an impossible task to come now and talk to you about King David leading us to King Jesus. Uh, but still, we're going to give a try. Because uh, inside all of us, e- inside each and every one of us, though we, we gloss over it maybe by title, there's this longing for a king. I would even argue that each and every one of you, <laughs> one of us, is serving a king right now. Maybe even multiple kings. Inside all of us, there's this longing for a king. We need a king. And that's what we see in our texts, uh, multiple texts today that we're going to look at. We see that in David, we have this need for a king. God reveals through him the necessity of a king. Uh, we're in the Advent series where we're looking at scripture, how God has revealed his mystery through, uh, throughout time. And the, the mystery of the, of, the, of the Lord, of the mystery of God is Christ revealed. Um, and all throughout scripture, he's been telling us about Jesus Jesus has been revealed, Um, and we're looking at three places in particular, Abraham, David, and Isaiah, excuse me. Um, We looked at Abraham last week. We saw that through Abraham, God revealed the saving faith in Jesus that we need, Um, and today in David, we're going to look at this necessity of a king. Before we get there, though, let me me pray for our time. Lord, I... uh, I do feel this burden of this impossible task of understanding what does it mean to have a king. I mean, we just sang several songs that just said, laying our crowns down, worshiping a king. And Lord, I ask that you would help us just to begin to understand what does that really mean. You revealed it through David to us. You pointed us to you. And I ask now, Lord, that in this message, you would continue to point us to you. Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to transition now to this message. Some of us have had busy mornings. Some of us have busy afternoons. Our minds are scattered. So I ask now, Lord, peace. I ask peace, be still, and may you come and speak. You have a word for us, and let us hear that, what that word is, so that you may be glorified. And I ask this in your name. Amen. We are, we are all wired to have a king by design. Uh, and the people of Israel... We're no different. Historically, the people of Israel, for them, uh, when we're, we're looking through the Old Testament, for them, it was God was meant to be their king. God was set up to be their king, and he had plans for them, for a king, for this longing inside their heart. Uh, but when we, when we look in, in 1 Samuel, what we're going to see is that instead of wanting what God wants for them, instead of wanting God to be their king, they actually said, no, we want to be like every other nation, and we want a king over us. We want like a human king over us. And God said, no, 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 I, I'm your king. And they're like, no, we, we don't want to be set apart anymore. We want a human king. And then God gives them a king. God gives them King David. And what we're going to see is that God starts water dripping this idea that someday there will, in fact, be a king, a human king, fully God, fully man, who will ultimately satisfy that longing that's inside all of us. Um, there's a long journey to get there from the time the Israelites to today. Um, but that was, and that was yet to come. But God is at work, and he's at work in David. So then our first question we need to understand is, well, who, who is David? Um, some of you might not be familiar with who David is, with his Bible story uh, pointing to David. There's a lot to be said about David. 
Um, just as a quick kind of biography, um, David is the second king of Israel. Saul is the first king, uh, the people's choice. David is the second king. Um, it's who God wanted. He's the son of Jesse. By the way, it's a really cool title. I'm not really sure what else Jesse has done throughout Scripture other than he, he uh, is the father of David. But forever forward in salvation history, we're looking for the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse. There's something important about Jesse. He is the son of Jesse. Uh, we also know that he's a shepherd. David is a shepherd um, from Bethlehem. When we first meet him, he's out tending sheep. He's from the town of Bethlehem. Um, that might sound familiar to some of you. And otherwise, he's, he's just this ordinary character. He's not really who we would anticipate to be a king. Uh, kind of like Abraham last week. There wasn't really anything that stood out necessarily about David, except for one thing. <laughs> it's whom God picks. And literally what we have after that is a man after God's own heart. Um, that's kind of what that means. It's God's pick, a man's after God's own heart. There's several years that are going to pass from the time when, in our text, we're going to look at in a brief moment, I swear, uh, and there, there's a several years pass between that moment when he's anointed to the time he actually becomes king. He's not king until he's 30 years old. Uh, and then we, le- we learn that he's actually, he reigned for 40 years over Israel. So his reign does come to an end. Um, but one thing that stands out is that his monarchy, his line continues forward. Um, in Israel, the, the kingdoms get divided. And this is a lot for you guys. I apologize. Hang in there. <laughs> Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Uh, and up north, there's many, many different lines. I think there's like several different lines of kings, of different families that take over. In Judah, there's one, and that's David. And continue for to Solomon, and then all and to his son, to his son, to his son, onward. Uh, and that's important for us because God uses that. Because eventually, the people of Israel are going to be kicked out of their land. And they're always going to come back to this promise that God said that there will always be a line of Jesse in, in the land of Judah over Israel there's always going to be this line. And when people are out and wandering, when they're kicked out of their land, when they're nomads, they cling to that hope that one day there will be a king in the line of, of David, a conquering king, a messianic king, somebody who's going to come and save us. David does almost everything in response to his faith. Um, that's one thing we can say about him, almost everything. He does sin. He has some moral failings for sure. But what I love about it is he, he repents every time. He comes back to the Lord and he repents. He's a model of faithfulness um, and it's beautiful. He's one of the most talked about people in the Bible. There's two full books dedicated to him. He's the author of several Psalms. He's mentioned all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. And that's, that's who David is. Um, there's, there's so much more we could say about him, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, for our purposes today, though, I want us to keep our eye on this idea that God uses David to help us understand that there's a need for a king. Inside all of us, there's a necessity for a king. And there's two things that we're going to look at. The first is, how does, David, uh, how does David point us to Jesus, the mystery of God? And secondly, how are David and Jesus different, and why does it matter? Um, so that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. So to help us understand this, we're going to jump in first with how does uh, David point us to Jesus? This is the time where now you can stop warming up your thumbs and, and get them ready. We're going to jump right in. And first, um, we're going to look at five, five different ways that David and Jesus are alike. I think if we can see the similarities between the two, it'll help us understand how David points us to Jesus. Because there is a lot that, um, that they have that overlaps. The first one we're going to look at is... Um, First, both David and Jesus have humble beginnings. They both have very humble beginnings. 
And for that, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16. We'll have it for you up on the screen as well. Um, so if you can't keep up, I'm going to try to go fast to, to keep us moving. If you can't keep up, just write them down. We'll have them on the screen too. Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. It says, when they came, um, he looked on Eliab. This is Samuel now, kind of coming to a point to king. So when they came, when Samuel and the others came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesus called, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammach pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are are, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So from this text, we can see David has very humble beginnings. Uh, David's the youngest. It's not what we would anticipate in a story like this. We would anticipate the oldest. Purely, or surely Samuel thought it would be somebody else. He's looking at these taller boys. It's like, maybe it's one of them. Nope, it's not them, he says. Um, David was even present at this meeting. Imagine that the most famous prophet in, in the whole country is at his house, <laughs> and he's not there. He's out tending sheep. Um, he's a shepherd. He's not a warrior. He's not what we think. The text itself even points to his humbleness. Do you realize we never learned David's name until the very end? It's he, him, the youngest, the one, <laughs> go get him. I mean, he's just purely, just really not who we thought would be king. Um, he's very humble. Um, but then we learn it's David. And David's humble beginnings point us to the humble being, beginnings of Jesus. If you were with us last week, our A-team ministry did a phenomenal job of putting on the living nativity out in our lobby for us. And it's just so beautiful to be able to physically enter into the Bible story and just kind of go back to the birth scene of when Jesus was born, when King Jesus was born. Uh, And it was absolutely amazing. There's two things that kind of stood out to me, though, um, as somebody with a little bit of OCD and maybe even some germ freakishness in me. Um, The first is coming up the stairs. Coming up the stairs, excuse me. Coming up the stairs, I, I noticed the smell of the sheep. Those things stunk. They were, it was pretty bad, right? The sheep were pretty stinky. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, when they had all cleared out, when, when the ministry had all cleared out and the, and the straw was there, you could see like paths of straw coming from like these doors, like down the stairs, down the hallway. It was just everywhere. It was a mess. And I just thought, that's amazing. This is the scene of our birth, the birth of King Jesus. Stinky animals. The shepherds, they were out in a field all day. They come in. They probably smelled. There's straw everywhere. It's just not what we would anticipate for a coming king. He too has humble beginnings. And that's what I love about the drummer boy. Right? He comes to that scene and he says, I have nothing to give that's fit for a king. Here, let me just give you my all. I'll I'll play the drums. That's the best I can do. 
we see that humble meets humble at the manger. This is the birthplace of our king, and David helps us see that through his humble beginnings. Second, both of their initial followers were really not who we anticipated. They're, they're all the poor and powerless. Um, for that, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 22 uh, and verse 2. And it says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontented, gathered to him, that is to David. And he became captain over them. And they were with him about 400 men. All those who were in distress, who were debt, bitter in soul, I was talking to Pastor Ken Thompson about this passage, about this sermon this past week, and, he's, and I love this quote. He said, it doesn't really sound like the kind of guys you want to rally to you, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. But hopefully that sounds a little familiar. These are the exact kind of people that come to Jesus. We see in Jesus' early ministry, we see who are the ones that he calls to him. Who does he start with? The fishermen, the dirty fishermen, the tax collectors, the diseased, the unclean, the disenfranchised the castaways of society, literally those who would have had to be outside the camp. Nobody wanted to do anything with these people. The prostitutes, the sinners, those who are weak. We see, Jesus, that all are welcome. All the poor and powerless. And I'm so glad for that because I'm one of them. <laughs> we all get to come to Jesus. He has something for us. All those who need something, all the, all the poor and parlors are welcome to Jesus. We see that with David, we, we see that with Jesus. Third, both David and Jesse seek justice and equity. We see this in 2 Samuel 8.15. So 2 Samuel 8.15, it says that, um, as so David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. <coughs> David, <coughs> David's reign was signified with justice and with equity. <clears throat> One author describes justice as fairness or reasonableness, especially in the way people are treated or decisions are made. Fairness or reasonableness, especially in the way that decisions are made and people are treated. This too describes how Jesus reigned. This points us to King Jesus. In Luke 4, Jesus is in the temple. He's reading. He opens up, he opens up the scroll and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he says, this text speaks of me. And what does it say? In Luke 4, 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set the liberty of those at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' reign is all about equity and justice, just as we see in David. David is pointing us forward to Jesus and to the reign that's going to come. Fourth, both David and Jesus offer rest. In 2 Samuel 7, 1, we see that finally David's in Jerusalem, the tabernacle's in Jerusalem, the holy city for the first time, and God grants rest to all the people. There's no more wars going on. <clears throat> this was a big moment in the history of the people of Israel. It's not a permanent rest. Uh, it's a temporary rest. We're going to see that they're going to go to war again. But this idea of rest is really important, and it gets carried all throughout the Bible. You can go to Hebrews 3 and 4 and really understand what's going on with this term west. But here and now, there's rest. The people are no longer at war. They, the kingdoms are united. They're all together in their land, and there's rest. This was huge. It wouldn't last, but there was a momentary rest. Jesus, too, offers rest. Um, in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, we see the great invitation. 
It's an invitation for all of us. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while the rest that David offers, that was offered by David and his kingship was temporary, it points us to this rest that Jesus offers, which is eternal. It's rest for your souls. It never goes away. It, it quenches that kind of cry out in your soul of just quiet, that stillness, that quiets the angst. Jesus offers that rest. And fifth, um, both for David and for Jesus, we see that the spirit of, Lord, the spirit of the Lord rests upon them. We see that in, in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Again, at the end of that text, when he was anointed, it says that the spirit rushed upon him. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David at that moment. And it reminds us of the, of the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, 16. Uh, in 3, 16, we see that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove coming to rest on him. Both men led their lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Both men walked and stepped with the spirit and that's key. David kind of sets this model for what to expect for a coming king. And ultimately it's David's family line that leads us to Jesus. God makes a covenant with David. I mentioned this before. God makes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And he says, your line will never end. He says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forevermore. This was a hopeful message for people that were wandering in the desert, that were wandering outside their land, that were wandering in foreign countries. They kept coming back to this verse saying, someday God is going to bring another king in the line of David that is going to come and reign over us and it's going to be a king that's going to be a conquering king. He's going to offer salvation for us. It's a once and done final king and we cannot wait to have this king. And then we come to Matthew one, first verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus' line goes through David. Jesus is the Davidic king that the people have been waiting for. David points us, he sets his hope up, he shows us what reigning, what a godly king could reign could look like. It's not perfect, but then Jesus comes in the line of David and he is just the perfect good king. And these are just some of the ways that King David starts to reveal the reign that's to come with King Jesus. There's, there's several other that we can talk through. Um, there's so much overlap between David and between Jesus. <clears throat> we start to see, though, the necessity of a king in David. In our, we start to see the necessity of a king in our lives being addressed by David and yet pointing to something bigger to come that's in, something bigger to come in Jesus. <clears throat> David's reign came to, an end, came to an end, right? He reigned for 40 years. That was it. It comes to an end. Yet the desire for a king never dies. <clears throat> and while there are similarities between these two, ultimately it's their differences that we need to pay attention to. Um, and, and one key difference in particular. Because um, this satisfying, if, if, if King David satisfied the longing of our souls for a king, we, we wouldn't need any other kings. We wouldn't. Uh, it would be satisfied. So what then is different about King Jesus and why does it matter? <clears throat> Ultimately, David is just a man. 
He's an imperfect man who sins. What he offers his followers is temporary. His reign comes to an end. His line continues on for sure, but he doesn't. He doesn't continue to be king anymore. He is just a taste of what's to come. He reminds us of this longing that's inside all of us for a king. I said at the beginning, and I'll say it again now, I would argue that all of us, no one is accepted from this. All of us worship a king, or maybe even kings. If I was to ask you right now, who is king in your life, how would you answer that? There's, there's three possible answers, I would say. There's either someone or something else is reigning as king over you. Um, second, you could be the king of your life. Maybe you've set yourself up as your own king. <clears throat> or perhaps Jesus is the king of your life. But given this list, if you were to do some self-examination, if you're really to press in and answer that question, if someone said, who has king, who has dominion, who has reign over your life, how would you answer that? Who would you say is king? To whom or to what do you align your devotion, your schedule, your free time, your skills and abilities, your money? That says a lot about what we, who we think is our king, who we worship. Who or what can you not live without? Is it your career? Or is it some piece of technology maybe? Is it your children? Is it your friends? Now, some of these things are good things. All of these things are good things. But they're not ultimate things. They're not meant to be worshipped. Someone or something is serving as king in your life, and it's possible, it's possible that you might even have multiple kings. And as you think about this person, as you think about this thing, perhaps, that's having reign over you, let me ask you some questions. <laughs> Can your king lead a sinless, obedient life? Can your king die in order that you may live? Can your king raise himself up from the dead or itself up from the dead? Can your king do that? Can your king save your soul? Only one king can do that. Jesus is the king that you need. Jesus is the answer to that soul crying out, cry for a king. Jesus is that answer. He's the one whom your soul desires. So then who, who is King Jesus, right? Now we're stuck with another question. All right, well, who's King Jesus? If we look in Revelation, we have this description of King Jesus. It's in Revelation 19, and it starts in verse 11. <clears throat> Revelation 19, verse 11. <clears throat> and it says, Then I saw a heaven opened, and behold, a white horse The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
And on his robe, on his robe and on his thigh, he has written the King of Kings. His name has been written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> That's John writing. John's writing, describing what he sees when he looks upon King Jesus coming. This is the image that we have of him. Listen to these words again. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His robe is dipped in blood. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. King Jesus is not to be taken lightly. So the problem, though, is we come to a text like this, maybe even some of the songs that we're singing, <laughs> we just sing them out, we cry out, hell, hell, King Jesus, laying my many crowns at his feet. But we kind of go back to the crowd at the globe. And we're like, oh, yeah, look, cool, King Jesus. Hey, look, that's pretty deep. <laughs> maybe even, like, take a picture. Maybe you take a picture of this text and you post it on Instagram, like, hey, look, look how cool this is. You want to go grab a bite to eat now? <laughs> we don't understand what it means to have a King Jesus over us, what it means to worship the one true good King. But there's so much inside of us that wants us to resist a King. We are just naturally resistors. We're naturally rebellious to this idea that there might be a King over my life, though ironically, we have Kings over our life. We don't want to surrender that control maybe. And I just wish, <laughs> my wish for you, <laughs> I wish so badly for you that you could set aside all the presuppositions that you have, all the resistance that's in you, that you could just stop for a moment, just stop for a moment, stop being rebellious. And just listen, take this in, throw off all that hinders and all that holds us back and begin to get, just get a taste of what it means to have a king a true king, to have this king <laughs> over your life. This is not meant to be an emotional appeal to you. Um, the Lord convicted me of that this past week. I don't, I don't want to appeal to you emotionally. I don't want you to just kind of leave feeling good or stirred. I really want this to impact the way you think, the way you live. I want this to be something that satisfies your soul. I want this so badly for you. I can't put it into words can't. But why does this matter? So what's at stake here? Well, there's, there's three things, really. Life under any other king is restrictive, but life under Jesus is flourishing. And the problem is, we think the opposite is true. We think that life under King Jesus is a restricting life. I mean, who wants to bow down before a king? He has all these rules. He has a way to live. <laughs> I want what I want. We think that coming under the authority of that king would be life-draining. <laughs> but it's the exact opposite. The false kings that you're serving, the false kings that you're serving right now, they have such a life hold on you. A life-draining hold on you. <laughs> that you can't even understand it. You can't even begin to experience true life, true living. You can't. And you just, you don't see it. It's your false king that offers a restrictive life. It's your false king that just wants to close in on you. In the short term, it might feel better, <laughs> right? It might feel good, some of these things that we have as kings. They might kind of 
have this temporary goodness to them, maybe even like a tickling of the ear, but ultimately it's a life in prison. That's what that king offers. That's exactly my story, I could tell you. I, I became a believer in, when I was about 25 or so, somewhere in there. I lost track now. Um, but I remember, <laughs> how dare I? How, I remember sitting in my apartment when I was like in my 20s, early, like 20 years old or so, and just saying, God, I want to try everything else before I try the God thing. <laughs> As if I had the ability to negotiate with God. And let me tell you, I did that. I lived that life. And, and take it as somebody who's lived that life, man, it's awful. It's awful. And I know some of the young people in here are like, yeah, maybe, but I still want to try. I get it. That's what's inside of you. I wish it wouldn't be. I really do. Um, I had somebody speaking into my life trying to tell me something, and I'm like, yeah, maybe. That, that sounds a little too restrictive. But I can tell you the consequences of that living, I still deal with this day. And I wish I could take it all back because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Sin stains, sometimes sin can stain permanently. The life under King Jesus is a life of freedom, a life of rest, and abundant living. We learn in scripture, he came that we might have life and life abundantly. It's not restrictive. Second, all other kings are takers. Jesus gives. King Jesus gives. If you and I do not fill up this longing inside of us, that's inside all of us. If we don't fill it up with King Jesus, we're going to fill it up with something else that's only going to just keep taking from you. It's going to just take and take and take, and it's never actually going to give you anything. All kings are takers. All other kings are takers. They demand something from you. More than demanding, they just, they just take it. They can never fully satisfy that desire that's inside of you. They just keep taking we learn this in the text, by the way. Before, before David, there was Saul. Before Saul, there's the people of Israel. <laughs> and the people of Israel cry out. They say, we want a king over us. And Samuel's like, no, you don't. You don't understand. They said, no, no, we do. We want a king. We want a human king over us. And you know what Samuel told them? Okay, but here's what you need to understand. This king's going to come, and he's going to take your money. He's going to take your food. He's going to take your land. He's going to take everything that's good that you have. He's going to just take it, and he's going to be allowed to take it. And the people of Israel said, yeah, that's what we want, <laughs> just like us. We don't want God as our king. We want something over us to satisfy us right now. King Jesus gives. He's not a taker. He gives you freedom. He gives you rest. He gives you peace and he gives you life abundantly. He quiets and satisfies your soul. That's what King Jesus does. Ultimately, third, ultimately, we will all come face to face with this King of Kings. There is no way to escape it. Hear me, there is no way to escape the fact that we're all, every single person on the face of this planet <laughs> is gonna come before the King of Kings someday. And you can either come under his authority, reign, and rule now and experience this flourishing life, this good life, this abundant life that he has for you. It's so good. I was so stupid in my 20s, so stupid. <laughs> this life is so good. Or <laughs> you can continue on the path that leads to destruction and ultimately come under his authority later in which the consequences are going to be so much greater. In Philippians it says, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The Greek is pretty clear. Every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. No one can escape his reign of rule. He is a good king. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He welcomes all the poor and powerless. He offers justice and equity. He offers rest. He ushers in peace. He offers the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his reign will never end. His reign will never end. This is the king that we get to worship. It's the king that we get to choose to worship. But here's the sum of it all. Some of us have misaligned kingship in our lives. Some of us have multiple kings in our lives, as if we're playing with a deck of cards or something. Like, this isn't a game, friends. (laughs) This is not a game. You can only have one king, and there's only one true king. If you hear anything in this message, if you hear anything at all, just hear this. If you're asleep, if someone's sleeping next to you, just give them a nudge. I get it. It's early. It's raining. Give them a nudge. You have one crown. You need to hear this. That's how important this is. That's why. (laughs) I don't mean to be silly. You have one crown in your hand right now, each and every one of you. You have one crown on whose or possibly <laughs> on what head are you going to chase, choose to place this crown to have kingship over your life? You get to make that choice. You have a crown in your hand. Where are you going to put that crown to have rule over your life? There can only be one king. And the choice is yours. We're going to stand and sing a song here as a response to this message. Worship team, you, can, you guys can come back up. And as they do, um, I want to pray for us. And I know that this can be the cue for some people to, to leave. I know some of you have to leave. Just hang in there. Just hang in there with me for one moment. I, would, I want to invite all of you now to just stand. Stand with me and pray. And as we do... And I know this might make some people uncomfortable, so I don't want to push your limits here. But as, as I pray, I want to invite you to just close your eyes and open up your hands. And when you do that, you, you actually put yourself in a posture to receive. You can no longer be defiant. You can no longer be rebellious, right? You're, you're, you're receiving. Um, and I want to invite you guys to receive this prayer as I pray for you. Um, so as you're comfortable, close your eyes, open up your hands, and I'm going to pray. Lord, this message is heavy, um, and I feel like I fumbled through it. I know that this could have been better, but this isn't about me. This is about you. And not only is this message heavy, Lord, but the crowns in our lives can be heavy. We feel like we can't move them. We can't lift them. And we need you, Lord. So I ask now with our hands open, Lord, that you would come and have rule over our lives. For those that are questioning, maybe some don't even know Jesus, some are here as a friend, this isn't more than what they've asked for for a Sunday morning. Lord, may you even be speaking to them to start them on the journey to worshiping King Jesus. Help us lift that crown and put it where it rightly belongs, and that's on your head over our lives. So we can submit to you because you are the one true good king. You can't help but to be. And we love you for that. Thank you for loving us. And I feel like we can never fully respond 
appropriately to you. So help us even in that, in this moment, as we sing this song, as we sing this song, as these lyrics are being sung, Lord, help us to just enter in for a moment, to just enter in to imagine that you're passing by. And how would we respond to that? How would we respond? All hail, all of us, all hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus.